make it to the mall. Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Post podcast where we are exploring the intersection between racial justice and pop culture and seeking practical insight for social progress. I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry. And I'm Trisha's. Sweet. And joining us in, I was going to say the studio. It's not really a studio. It's like an online window. Um, we have some, studio. <laughs> exactly. We have some very special guests. So honored to have them. We have screenwriter and best-selling author. They neglected to say best-selling when I said, how do you want to be introduced? <laughs> but we're going to make sure you all know Hari Ziad is with us. And also joining us is actor and director Victoria Park, best known for her role as Camilla on CW's The Flash. But she's currently busy playing the best role of her life as a new mom to her baby girl. Aww, uh, Hari, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Oh my gosh, time for our check-in. How's everybody doing? What's going on? Trish, let's start with you. You know, um, I had an eventful weekend um, of Love is Blind, of watching Love is Blind, of absorbing Love is Blind information from the internet, Uh and then um, Mm -hmm. of being let down by the finale, not uploading on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I would I would say that was a highlight um of my weekend and I spent I spent the weekend with my my parents in San Diego. Nice little little getaway, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm just still working on all my book stuff. How are you doing? Uh sweet. Um did the Love is Blind finale actually play for you? Cuz I didn't I it didn't it play for me night. until like last night, which was my I watched night. it last night. I watched okay. it this morning. Did you? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm starting to take it personally that <laughs> Love is Blind is not playing for me. You are not our target audience, is what they're telling us. <laughs> it was just like the 25%, 25% over and over. Like, this is... Yes, exactly. At least we had succession. At least I had succession to... Oh my God, this episode was so good. cradle my fall. <laughs> I haven't gotten into the, the latest season. Is it good? I haven't started it at all. No, such a good show. It's great. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if I've talked about this on this show, but like, I cannot figure out why I like Succession. Like, I can't figure <laughs> out why I like watching all these like rich white people like fight for a conservative <laughs> news outlet. <laughs> no, they. Let's do an I episode. think it's because they do such a good job of like making these really unlikable characters more dimensional. Like you. Phil, you were like rooting for some of them, at least in context of like fighting with each other. Like, I think mm-hmm. they just flesh out these terrible villains that in any other story would just be like horribly one, you know, flat and, and they make them interesting. I still hate them, yeah. but I'm like, yeah. I, I want to see what happens. <laughs> I'm like, but do so you hate them and help us do we need to sympathize yeah. more with rich white people that are controlling media narratives? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't probably know. not. I was going to say that, but I was like, I haven't watched the show, so I'm going to reserve my judgment. 
<laughs> but it's no, it's I mean I like it, and this is why oh this might be terrible to say, but I'm uh I watch true crime, but only if it's about white people because I'm not invested. <laughs> well, and honestly, like, really most true crime is white people. Oh my gosh. Like white women exactly. are way overrepresented <laughs> in, in true crime. It's hard to find like true crime that is not centered around. I mean, I'm okay with that because so exploited it, right? Um, And I'm Mm. like, whenever I'm watching the one that's not about, not just white women, but about white people in general, it's like, okay, I can tell these families are being exploited, but I don't. I mean, they signed up for it. (laughs) That they signed (laughs) up for it. Ari, let's check in with you. What's going on in your world? I'm watching a lot of true crime. Just <laughs> coming out for air, I just did a big table read for a film I just wrote that I'm hoping to continue developing. Um, wow. And um, it's really cool. It's the first film that I've written. I've been in TV for a little bit um, and also been on the pitching phase of a show I developed. Um, so hopefully, wow. especially with this writer strike coming up, that means that um, work won't completely disappear for me um, mm. because the bank account has been going down, down, down for the last mm. couple of months <laughs> since my oh, life. That... I understand that. Wow, that brings up like, I want to jump right down that rabbit hole, but we don't have time like to talk about like just, just the fact that, like, when we talk about, like, people being able to, groups being able to strike, like, about, like, how do we take care of them uh, in the course of performing that action, you know? Mm-hmm. But but yeah. otherwise, fingers crossed, prayers up, good vibes for all of the wonderful projects that you've got uh, starting and going on. Thank you. Yeah. Victoria, how you doing? What's going on in your world? Um. Yeah, I mean... That impending writer strike is really affecting our whole industry, I think. And yeah, that could be yeah. a whole rabbit hole on its own. But I feel like I am also kind of coming up for air. I just finished directing a project, which was so fun. Um, it was my first, like, really coming back after having my baby and working. So it was just a lot mm-hmm. of emotions, um, mostly good ones, mostly like, oh, yeah, I forgot how much I love doing this. It's so fun. And then also the first time being away from my kid and not seeing her for a couple of days because, you know, our days are so long. So I was leaving before she woke up and coming home after she went to sleep. That was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, and so it was just a lot of emotions. And um, now I'm getting way too much time with her because as soon as I finished production, my husband went on a work trip. So I'm solo parenting now. So I like switch. Oh, I'm like, oh man, like this is hard in a whole different way. So um, yeah. he comes back tomorrow and I'm like, I love, I love my daughter more than I've loved anything or anyone, but I'm like ready for him to come back (laughs) just so I can like sleep and like get a break. So that's how I am today. Hear that. Yeah. Well, um, I am working on my EP. Uh, you all just heard my new song by the time you hear this, this, this will be the song that just dropped last Friday. It's called make it to tomorrow. I'm working on my EP and still deciding if I'm actually going to offer that to everyone. Because, you know, like, Spotify pays less than a penny for every stream. So we can let Make It to Tomorrow go to Spotify. And maybe we'll save the EP for people who really want it. I don't know. Debating. But feeling good about that. 
and just really enjoying my new apartment in East Hollywood. I have art on the walls now. It's very black. I have like these really happy African kids. They're paint not a portrait, like not 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 like some missionary trip where so like, but like <laughs> this painting of these very joyful African kids over my bed. Another one by my bathroom that says it's a beautiful day to be black. Um, just a picture of Jamaica in my bathroom and uh, some Bob Marley lyrics over there behind me. So I'm feeling really good in my little apartment here. I love that. Welcome to East Hollywood. We'll have to get Thank lunch. you. Yes, please. I would love that. All right, everyone, you heard it first. We're all doing okay. Most people are coming up for air and we'll talk more about, oh, we're talking about beef today after the break. Hello and welcome back. We were just listening to Caffeine by me, Trishes, and now we're going to dive into a conversation about beef. That was a wonderful introduction. <laughs> no, it felt so it felt so official. I feel taken care of. Yeah. That was like um, NPR level. That was nice. Thank you. Listen yeah, to a was. lot of the daily. Um, so I just finished watching. Um, I just finished. Oh, I like binged it on Friday. That's what. It, no, no, no. I binged. You watched the whole thing. I watched the. You whole watched the whole thing, thing in one day. It's not that long. It's not that long. They're like ten no. thirty minute episodes, so it's like five hours. I did it while I was cleaning, but I was watching. Okay. I was I was paying attention. <laughs> Don't worry. I know what happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So what would, what do you think? What were your reactions? Oh, I mean, I knew. So I knew sort of the the timely cultural context we were going to be discussing while watching it. So I'm not sure mm -hmm. if that sort of informed um, my feelings while I was watching it. But I do think it generally mm -hmm. feels like a, a pretty um, felt dark to me and yeah um but i do think it would have felt that way with or without that context um i think that was mm -hmm. the part of the point um yeah mm -hmm. what did what did y'all think about it yeah i um so i watched most of it before i found out about the whole david cho situation i actually have it picked it back up hopefully i can still um mm. contribute to the conversation since then but i watched more than half i was towards the end when i seen it and i can yeah trisha it was still felt very dark but in a really like cool way like i mm -hmm. think i write a lot of dark shit i mean can we cut some of this i don't know of course uh, feel free <laughs> okay cool um <laughs> and um but it still had this like lightness about it that it's i find really fascinating as a writer myself um mm -hmm. So I was really into it. And so it's kind of been a difficult oh, no. thing to like engage with the whole David Cho um, coming out as, uh, or actually this has been out for what, a decade now, the joking 
uh, or he says it's a joke about raping some woman. Uh, but I was still going to watch it. I was waiting to see the producers and the cast responded to it. And then just like no response at all has like put a really bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And so I've been mm. like struggling with whether I'm still going to finish it. Um, but I was really enjoying I thought it was something that I, you know, as a writer who's like trying to do something different in a lot of my work that I'm pitching is like, this is an example of like how that can be done and like how it can be lauded and like successful, um, or at least Netflix is saying it's successful. And um, <laughs> then for all of that to be kind of, it just dampers all of that for me. Um, like, I don't know if I would even want to try to compare my work, even though my work is kind of comparable to it anymore. Um, mm. So it's been weird. Um, I think yeah. in real time, reckoning with the, like, separate the art from the artist in a way that I haven't mm. had to do before. Do we give yeah. people the context yeah. if they are unaware? Andre, do you want to break I down? I don't know. I mean, we can do it now or we can come back to it. Okay. I can give context. Sure. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, cause I'm just, I'm feeling a lot of things about this because I yeah. finished the show before everything came out about, or I guess mm -hmm. like resurfaced about, um, David show. Um, but, uh, basically what had happened was, uh, back in 2014, right? 2014, uh, maybe, I think so. um, he, he had a little interview type of show and um in pretty graphic detail shared about um basically sexually assaulting raping a um massage therapist who i believe was is black um yeah. and female and um it was i don't know if y'all heard it i made the mistake of listening to it and it was like i feel like i had like secondhand trauma listening to it because it was so graphic um, wow. And then, you know, obviously people came down hard on him as they should have. And he kind of walked it back and said that he had made it all up for comedy purposes, which has not been proven either way. But I don't think really makes a difference because the point is that he thought that it was funny to say these things in very right. graphic detail and that no one in the studio thought to really say anything other than kind of jokingly saying like, hey, that's rape. And then they like laugh. It, the whole thing was very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And I think the fact that it all got swept under the rug and just was kind of lying dormant for 10 years and this man was still allowed to work is like a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Hari, as you said, the fact that it came out again and the silence from you know, the creators and the fellow actors and things like, listen, I understand, like, I'm, I'm an actor and I, I have a publicist and I understand what they're probably going through right now on some level. But I, I just personally feel like there's, there's no excuse for like, you're like, your silence speaks volumes. And I think it's better to, yeah. it speaks to your character. I think if you don't say anything, even if people are telling you not to like i think it's better to be a good person <laughs> so it's yeah. been very yeah. disappointing um because the show was so incredible for me 
um, yeah. in so many ways. It's been very heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's really disheartening. Um, it's really disheartening to have what could have just been a great um, example of of representation with like this almost like completely all Asian cast. Um, and then have an incident like this happen without without any responsibility being taken because you want to be able to enjoy that representation. It's reflected in our conversation right now. Like, there's no way to really talk <clears throat> just about kind of like what we love about the show or our reactions to the story without it being weighed down by, you know, the reality that, you know, one of the main characters, you know, has this, you know, has this story out there. And um, I remember just seeing the, uh, the poster for it before it came out, just seeing Ali Wong on a poster. I'm like, oh my God, like, Ali Wong's got a new show. I can't wait to see it. And um, feeling really surprised by, as some of you have talked about, how it, it being kind of dark. But now when I think about the show, <clears throat> I think about like Ali Wong kind of made her Twitter private. Mm -hmm. um, I think to block some of the comments and and questions coming, criticism coming her way, you know, and that's really kind of at the forefront of my mind when I think of the show. Um, and I'm wondering from you two who work in <laughs> the entertainment business, you know, just I know that you you don't you're not necessarily connected to these people personally, so you can't speak, you know factually but if you had to guess like how widely known do you think this might have been known about a cast member of a show like this like what does this look like for those of us who are not on that side of the industry yeah i mean victoria probably can speak better to this but i feel like the um the people who make these casting decisions do at the, the very least a cursory background or should of like whoever they're hiring um so and that was a big or or at least it was it was probably it was in like buzzfeed at the time um so i feel like people had to know and i think also the silence that they're showing now um like victoria was saying like kind of speaks to them kind of tacitly saying that it's okay um, or that it shouldn't have been as big of a deal as people are making it. Um, I, so I would wager that, like, someone and their friends, like, um, I think Ali Wong and Steve Yoon are friends with David. Um, yeah, they, they are. They, they've got, like, a lot of stuff online that's, like, kind of shows, like, they, they were kind of buddies, it looks like. Yeah. So it's weird. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't, we weren't in those rooms and we can't know for sure, but I think that if they didn't know, like it just goes to show that people should be doing more of those. Um, I, I don't want to even like it, it feels weird because it can also be used the other way. Like, I know I've probably lost jobs when people search me and, and see all the shit that I posted on Twitter all the time. Um, <laughs> and so, like, uh, and I'm like, should people be doing that? Um, but I think you should know who you're working with, and yeah. um then make a decision from there. So if they didn't, I think that's also, that also speaks to a failure on their part. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's no 
way of knowing for sure what people mm-hmm. knew and you know who who knew and all that I mean there's no way like unless you just ask them <laughs> but right. I think it's really given that they're friends and given that it's not just fellow actors it's like you know the the leads are the producers and have a huge mm-hmm. say in everything that's going on it's not just like oh you showed up and you're like hey this person's playing opposite me I would venture to say that they did know I mean I'm a cautious optimist like I I want to believe in the possibility for redemption for all people Mm -hmm. and this did happen so long ago it does not excuse what was said but I feel like maybe and maybe I'm just trying to find a good light to it but I'm like if they are friends maybe they're like okay, we knew that this happened, but we know that's not who you are now. And we've seen the work that you've done for the past 10 years or whatever. And so maybe Mm -hmm. that's why they were like, let's just do it. Um, Do I think that that was the wisest choice? No, but I'm like, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that like maybe they are friends and maybe they walked through that with him back in 2014. Mm -hmm. And uh, who's to say, you know, like we can throw all of our possibilities out there. But um, to answer a question, I think it's, I think it, I would be shocked if they did not know. And if the producers did not know, um, yeah, I, I would be shocked. Cause I think, I mean, that's just, they, they do their, I think people know now, like you do your yeah. kind of figure that stuff out. And I think too, like the, the swiftness with which it was swept under the rug also speaks to like, I think maybe they had they kind of knew maybe this was going to come about and they were like all right like here's our plan if it happens kind of type of thing because it was on the internet for like what a minute before it was all taken down so oh wow i mean not an actual minute not a literal yeah (laughs) a day and then it was like yeah Yeah, i don't on you know so yeah yeah i don't think it lasted for more than a day yeah I appreciate that that optimism, though. I mean, I don't want to immediately, you know, excuse anyone who's causing harm either, but I do appreciate that, you know, that desire. One thing that I thought about when I first heard about this in particular was, <clears throat> okay, I I am I compare it to like Michael Jackson, you know, the the or at least that was the thing that came to mind was kind of my attitude about Michael Jackson's music. You know, Michael Jackson was accused of some very serious uh harm doing and when i think about michael jackson's music i think yes of course he is the face he is the name he is the brand and at the same time when you throw away a song like don't stop till you get enough you're throwing away a lot more people's work than michael jackson's right you're throwing away quincy jones's work you're throwing away rod temperton's work you're throwing away you know and so I wanted to say, okay, well, all right, that's was that was my lens, not not immediately excusing what happened with David Cho, but wondering, like, all right, about what it might look like through that lens. And then what what made it hard for me was like seeing Ali Wong shut down her Twitter and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh man, like I can't even really move, I can't make that move really easily. But I still appreciate that optimism of hoping that maybe there could be something in this. And I think what would make it a lot easier for me is if the producers came out and said exactly what you said, Victoria. Like, we know this about him. We've walked through this, da-da-da-da-da. So it's just hard in the silence. I'm really curious, and I do want to hear about the good things that y'all feel about the show in a second, too. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to talk. But because we're talking about this, Hari, you have honestly been someone who is who I admire intellectually around these conversations around racial justice, around abolition, around, you know, all these topics. And so I was wondering, particularly kind of in conversation with with with, with what Victoria said about people being about everyone, you know, hoping everyone has a chance at redemption. How do you look at a situation like this where, regardless if he made it up or if he did it, the man has caused harm, done it in a public mm-hmm. arena. Now it's, now the public knows. What do we do with people like this? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that, that you need to speak for all situations, <laughs> you know. Like the whole system of, uh, <laughs> for abuse. Um, no, uh, I, well, for one thing that might add a little bit of optimism, I saw people saying that Ali Wong's um, Twitter was private beforehand. So maybe that's the case. I don't know for sure. Um, maybe it was done preemptively. Um, so maybe that wasn't in response to that. Um, but I okay. think just, and that's, that's how I viewed it too. Like there was so much room for, this to turn out another way. Like I was, I still plan to re to finish the season. Like I'm like, they're definitely going to just put out a statement and kill him off when they can. And like, move. <laughs> he's not a main character. He's a cousin. And um, there's so many ways that you could quickly move past it. So I think just their response, their non-response is what really um, made me feel less, room for you know things to you know maybe there's some uh, more positive way to look at the situation um so but to answer your question i think i don't know i mean i think it you have to first acknowledge the trauma that's happened before you can move on and i don't think anyone in this situation has done that um once you do i think it's about like whether that is um, felt one by the person who actually experienced it. Like if this woman actually exists, um, mm-hmm. is there a way to to really make amends to her? Or if it's just, you know, the people who had to listen to this horrible audio, um, checking in mm-hmm. with that community has, to, like those are the people that need to allow space for this guy to still have a career, not um, someone else who were never invested in this in the first place. Um, yeah. And so it could look a little... A, a, a lot of different ways. I mean, some people might not ever forgive that, and that's fine. But I think mm-hmm. um, you will never know until you put an apology that's legitimate um, and that's that um, feels real to that community. And uh, no one has even attempted to do that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's where we are. Mm. Yeah. I what feel like you? I've been talking a lot, Trish. So uh, I want to just take a sit back. Well, I was gonna say. <laughs> What do you think his his initial response ten years ago or whatever um I don't think was sufficient to the situation, but what does sort of a redemption arc in a situation like this look like so this um this podcast occurred, he said these awful things, whether he was joking or not. Um, caused harm and then after he puts out a a statement saying I was just making this up it was supposed to be a joke so it's not funny right Um, but in order 
to believe the story we want to believe. Say, this man has reformed. He's seen the error in her ways. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like for someone to take accountability and for us to be able to embrace them in entertainment um, and to embrace them in a situation like this? Yeah, and I won't, I'll just speak briefly because I'd love to hear how Victoria feels on this too. But I yeah. think um, it has to, one, acknowledge like what the issue was. The issue isn't just, you know, that I made a joke in poor taste. There are other clips from this podcast that have surfaced where they're joking about um, the female co-host uh, raping a 13-year-old boy. Like there's a whole thing of like how he approaches entertainment and comedy that has to be reckoned with that the he hasn't even begun to do and then outside of that i think like one understanding how like all of that can be harmful but also not trying to push it and sweep it under the rug so all of those copyright infringement um uh, notices came directly from his nonprofit. And so clearly there's a concerted effort to like quiet the situation down that I think is in conflict with trying to actively make amends to folks. So I think though, if there wasn't, you know, this push to quiet it and sweep it under the rug, if there was an acknowledgement of, you know, it was more than just a joke and bad taste, then I think we could start talking. About, and if he had done work over the last 10 years to engage yeah. with the concepts of like sexual violence which i don't think he's done um i think that's what i would want to see in a, a redemption art um and say i don't speak for for everyone who's a survivor of sexual abuse or anything so there, there might be other things but me personally i would want at least to start there because i don't think that takes too much work like that could be a bare minimum yeah yeah I agree. And I, I mean, I agree with you, Trish, about his apology. If you can, I mean, it, I, we can't even call it an apology back in 2014. It was just kind of an explanation. Um, so I think, you know, first step would be apology because <laughs> um, I don't feel like yeah. the public has gotten that. And maybe <clears throat> he has made amends personally and maybe he has made strides personally. But I think, you know, I think that's great, but when you're a public figure and when you're, um, the words that you say and the way that you present yourself is affects people outside of just you know that the normal person, <laughs> the normies. Like you have a responsibility to also make amends and apologize in public as well. Um, and I think a lot of, I mean, I won't speak for everyone, but I think there's like this common kind of feeling um that I've come up against of people in this industry where um it's like but that's a personal thing like I can work on it on my own and I know that I'm working on it and I know that I'm a good person um and I don't need I don't owe anyone else the sort of mm. you know apology or anything like that um because it's like a personal matter and I think you know our, our we have a very interesting job that's unlike a lot of others when you're like a public figure and yeah. the fact of the matter is like you do affect other people that you've maybe never even met or never will meet and so I think you have to step it up and apologize and make amends to the public as well like unfortunately we do have to you can't just like oh yeah. like the deeds are gonna I'm gonna hold them to good to the chest like I mean just I think the fact that we haven't seen anything means it's probably not being done and 
I mean, mm. I agree with Ari, like, I think base level, you know, showing that you're really trying to understand what it is that you did wrong and, you know, volunteering with, I don't know, organizations and I, I don't know what it, exactly it would look like, but yeah. Um, yeah, doing those things would be first step. As far as work is concerned, like, I don't know what the right path is for somebody who is made an error like this that does harm other people. Um, yeah. Because it's it's so varied. Like, you know, maybe somebody who has dealt with this personally would not feel comfortable working with him. And I think that mm-hmm. in that regard, like, you need to, as a producer or as people who are making these decisions, you need to make the right choice for everyone to feel safe. And I don't think that he is his mistakes or his worst moments, but at the same time, like you have to live with the consequences. And so I feel like if you were really apologetic about that, then it would be like, yep, like I did make that mistake and this person doesn't feel safe and that is their prerogative and I will bow out. Um, So I don't know. It's hard. It's really hard. It's rare to find people uh, who do that. And it's not lost on me that we don't live within the types of societies where having that kind of attitude is easy, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm sure that people are afraid that if they are, you know, that forthright about it. Yes, I made this mistake. You know, I did that thing that caused harm, you know. Um, that that becomes the scarlet letter that they'll wear, you know, the rest of their lives and won't have community and all of that. I don't know. I just wanted to say, like, especially for us as people of color, like, the door is so narrow. It's like barely ajar. And so I think there is kind of this chip on our shoulder that maybe I don't, I mean, I don't speak for him or anything, but I can see how somebody would say, like, but like, you know, the the opportunities are already so small. Like, why would I be the one to say no to something when like the opportunities Mm. are not falling at my feet? Mm. You know, I can see how that could be complicated. I Um, think too, it's like acknowledging, acknowledging the racial dynamics of the situation is something that I would need to see from someone like him um, in this Mm -hmm. situation because, you know, he's perpetuating the sexualization of black women and stereotypes mm-hmm. about black women, the commodification of black women in America. He's perpetuating these um, these symptoms of white supremacy culture that also impacts his community in different ways. Mm-hmm. But um, without that acknowledgement that there has been tensions between these communities because of this structure because white supremacy likes to pit um pit minorities Mm. against each other i think that is part of um what what i'd need to see is within that harm do you see that you're buying into what whiteness tells us about women what whiteness tells us black about black women what whiteness tells us about asian women um what it tells us about our sexualities and how we can be treated and how we can be used and um how our bodies are viewed and i think a lot of a lot of it is is really horrific to listen to i listen to it um 
but there's the objectification combined with the racial dynamics um, is really is really yeah. difficult to grapple with. Especially if it's a joke, right? Because he's choosing to insert yeah. this racial dynamic into it yeah. that, you know, if it was just something that happened, you know, they asked, what did this person look like? But if this is a joke like he's claiming, then there's some like intentionality, um, like he intentionally abused race into it. So I think that mm. that gives more of uh, um more reason for that to be one of the first steps if he's really going to address um this like like this says i think that's a great point yeah trish like you pointing that out like really gives me the ick even more than i had when it's like someone just decides to volunteer like hey guys i heard a black person one day and people are like ha 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 that's so funny david you've always got the jokes you know and that's exactly like um, how that's exactly how white supremacy pit people against each other it's like the act of domination and you're just mm -hmm. viewing it, it's a metaphor for that act of domination in a in a weird way because of the way that um he decided to narrate the story it's bringing back to mind something i wrote about in my book Book plug, ju 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 ju. Um, yeah, so I wrote about in my in my, in my book. Uh, I can't remember what chapter is it. I think it's the one about interracial dating, actually, where I'm like asking, like, why do people do some of the things that they do? And honestly, like, it just brings back to mind that some people participate in anti-black violence for nothing more than the thrill of it. Yeah, they enjoy it. There's no easy way to make this transition, but I know that we're going to run out of time soon. And so I do want to hear. <laughs> you all just sit with that one, okay? For a minute. I got venom on the tip of my tongue, just like a scorpion, just like a I do want to hear some some more about like why you loved the show, um, especially Victoria. You said that it was that it was great for you to see, and so I'd love to hear more about what was great for you seeing Beef before <laughs> before we all found out about you know. Gosh, I don't have a nice word for David's show right now. So before yeah. we heard about that story. Oh man, I gotta like do some imagination work and go back like a week and like where was I? <laughs> like riding the high of the show. Um, yeah, I mean, just to speaking as like a Korean American woman who grew up in the church, <laughs> it's like a very specific representation that I have never seen. Um, and like, to the to the point that like when my husband who's also Korean American and also grew up in, in the Korean American church specifically we were watching mm -hmm. it and we looked at each other and I was like I feel like he's giving away our secrets like this is so <laughs> on point that it's like 
you're not supposed to share this stuff. Like, this is for Korean people only. Like, what are you doing showing the world our stuff? <laughs> that is how represented I felt. And I didn't realize how I had never felt represented that specifically until I saw it. And wow. I feel like as an Asian American woman in the industry and just watching, just, you know, in this culture, watching TV and movies and stuff, I feel like I've gotten like pieces of that you know, like, oh, wow, I've never seen this before. Like crazy occasions. I've never seen two Asians kiss before on TV. This is crazy. Um, mm. You know, I've gotten like little like snippets, but this was like the first time that I was like actually uncomfortable by how well I was represented on TV, um, <laughs> which is like beautiful. You know, it's great. It's it's so wonderful that we're at a place where there is just like, you know, now representation doesn't just mean Asian faces on screen. Mm. Now representation can mean specifically my story is being told or mm. I've never even heard this story. I don't know anyone like that, but that does exist. Like that's so great yeah. that we can exist in that world. And I think that's why it was so great to me um, to watch. And also the fact that it just felt so refreshing and new. I've never mm. like seen this before on TV. <clears throat> I've never seen something told in quite this way. And it just made me feel really encouraged to be like, this is why we need diversity of voices yeah. in every level of entertainment because like this would never have gotten made if you know all of these different people weren't able to say yes to it and like you know it's more than just an asian story like everyone's able to watch it and feel like it's yeah it's a really good story and so like how that's why i think the david Cho sorry not to bring it back but that's why i think it's so hard <laughs> heartbreaking is because it's like yeah. the opportunity was there for this great story to be told and for so many people to be like wow like yeah this story would have just not existed had you know we not invited these asian people in to tell their story and now oh. it's like oh we let you in but now it's tainted and it just it just it it's really heartbreaking but anyway yeah. let's go back to the positive place I want to talk about how everyone is really hot on the show. Yeah. And the it's observation I true. made is that people of color have to this... be really hot to be on TV. White people can be so, average. People of color have to be super hot. Very That's attractive where we are bunch in on screen. A very attractive bunch. I mean, bunch. I like seeing very attractive people on my TV, so I was good with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like every man on that yeah. show is like, "Wow, you're beautiful." <laughs> um, yeah. So yes, people of color don't yet have the luxury of being average-looking on TV, but there's okay. We need to write that down for another episode. <laughs> another episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That should be a whole episode. I would love that. I mean, I don't feel that way when I watch Succession. I'm not like, "What an attractive group of people." No That's offense to no, any of them. It, literally. <laughs> Literally, because I watch. No offense to any of them. I'm watching both those shows. It's like, mm, like they don't have to be. That's all. I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're onto something. Hari's got to roll off soon. So, Hari, did you want to add anything before you, before you do? Yeah, I mean, before this dog kills me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, as you know, Andre, uh, I'm like super critical of the whole like representation matters like idea because of I think it. And well, you don't have to go into it, but I think it kind of feeds what the problem with this is. Like, um, uh -huh. because you know, 
like kind of how what Victoria was, was hinting at earlier, like because there's so few opportunities, we end up rooting for, like Easter Ray says, rooting for everyone black. And some black people don't need to be put on our screen. <laughs> just some, you know, some David Toe doesn't necessarily need a job on that. But I think what was so interesting about this the show that I loved was that um, it wasn't just Asian folks in a white people's story. Um, it was yes. like the specificity that Victoria was talking about, uh, which I think is where you find the most um, um, compelling um, ways in for people who are not from a community. Like for me, I love to watch stories about people that, I, you know, I don't know that folks. I didn't grow up in a Korean mm-hmm. church, but I know what it feels like to have a religious experience. And so like mm-hmm. there's this added, layer of like learning something new and also because of the, the dimensional the characters are like you feel like the nuts into them too and so i think when representation is done in that way or when casting and storytelling is done in that way with us in mind it's so powerful and i feel like um that's what was really great about this like it felt like uh, like victoria was like i was led into a world that wasn't really mine but i felt like a connection to it um, I felt like I could understand these characters. Um, it didn't feel like they were just, you know, um, they were cast for white people, uh, roles that were written for white people. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really amazing. Also, I think all great storytelling is, you know, um, something, you, we take something that's really small and we blow it up and like make it really interesting and this was like such a stupid argument that like goes (laughs) and and it's like completely blown out of proportion in this really dramatic way and i think being able to take something like cutting someone off on a parking spot and turn it into you know this sprawling story of revenge is like really exciting and from a story selling standpoint um but yes i do have to go um it was so great to be on here i would love to like Keep in touch with all of you. I don't think I I, I know Sister Victoria, but I'm definitely going to be following your work. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And I really appreciate you all having me. Thanks, Thanks so for much coming. For coming We're gonna, we have to have you back. Yeah. To talk about yeah, things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I was curious about the rage and the element of rage in the show because it seemed to represent a greater collective rage. Um, I think someone on the internet referred to it as millennial rage. And I'm not quite um I'm not quite sure what it was supposed to represent. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I think my perspective is just one perspective, but like given that I I share some of the same background as like the creators, I can tell you what it meant for me. Um, and I think the greater millennial rage is something that's very interesting. I hadn't heard that. I honestly haven't read anything about the show. Um, so I'm just kind of speaking to my experience, but, um, within Korean Americans specifically, um, there is this, um, this through line of like rage in our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very layered. Um, you get the rage that's in Korean, Korean, Korea, and then you get rage that lives within um, Korean Americans. So, um, you know, in Korea, we're a small country that was colonized a lot of times. 
um, and only recently, you know, became quote unquote superpower. And so there's a lot of like intergenerational trauma, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of like, you know, people always say like, oh, Koreans are so proud to be Korean. And it's kind of like, we're bred that way because we've had so much Mm -hmm. harm done to us. Um, And I think that that is kind of like the seed of it, of like where, like, even for me, like having been born here, my parents were raised here. Like, I still feel that like intergenerational, like kind Mm -hmm. of rage and trauma in like pit of my stomach. And I think that like definitely colors like where everything else comes from. And then I think on top of that, um, and then also, you know, I'm not Vietnamese or I think that's what, I think Ali Wong's character was Vietnamese Chinese. Um, there's, I mean, there's all of that as well, which is like a whole nother history mm-hmm. lesson. Um, but they have that mm-hmm. as well. A lot of the trauma, um, which is a lot, a little closer as well, like generationally speaking. Um, and so there's all of that, but then I think being Asian American in particular, um, it was, I think, oh, up until only fairly recently that Asian Americans in this country have even been allowed to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a stereotype for a reason that Asian Americans are the silent minority, you know, and that's been taught to us by white supremacy. Um, you know, if you want to be the model minority, if you want to succeed in this country, you, you know, sit down and shut up and do what you're told mm. and we'll let you, we'll let you sit with us. Um, and yeah. I think, and a lot of that too is like, you know, the language barrier, all of these different things, but you know, all that's to say is like, we've been shut up for generations in this country. And I think that also creates um, a layer of rage specifically with our generation. Mm. Um, I think for my parents' generation being the generation that immigrated here or the first generation that immigrants here, regardless of when it was, there's a lot of like trying to fit in and and kind of just, you know, succeed. And then I think for us, the children of those, that generation, we look at our parents and we're enraged because we just see, all we see is that they're being taken advantage of. And mm. we being American have this kind of like ability to see that in a way that they cannot. And I think that mm. also um, informs the rage so I think it's it's the being silenced and the being like camped down and then this little thing that's like so funny is like this little you know road rage incident but then it kind of unlocks like all of this rage from all of these different things from generational to whatever and just like that one thing just like lets it all out of the bag and I feel like you know, in a lot of ways, these characters don't even know, like, where is this rage coming from? It's just like coming out, you know, and yeah. it's it's done really well. It's like, you know, comedic and dark and all these things. But it does come from a really real place that I think a lot of um, Asian Americans feel in a really real way of like, why do I have all of this anger, <laughs> you know, yeah. and really having to, to figure that out and let it out in a healthier way than these two characters did. Yeah. And Ali Wong's character is also like really, at least in the last few episodes, she keeps coming back to this idea of is there such thing as unconditional love? And just her Mm -hmm. sense of not being worthy of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that seemed like another, another theme 
that um, I would love to hear if either of you have anything to say anything about. Yeah. I'd love to hear what you have to say, Andre. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I have anything <laughs> profound to say about it as much as I did track that as well. Like she genuinely even though she had so much, right? And she'd worked so hard for what she had. And she's like rich and, you know, totally a boss, like still had to seem to be really wrestling with this voice inside of her saying, I'm a bad person, you know, mm, I'm yeah. not worthy. And I, I, I know that they gave part of her part of her backstory, but I can't remember right now exactly how that fit in because I think that maybe that was supposed to explain why she felt that way. Um, and that's all I that's all I know. I can't explain that at all. You know, I think I was listening to this um, podcast called I think it was Therapy for Black Girls. <laughs> Clearly, the target audience here, um, <laughs> and. Um, they were talking about imposter syndrome. And what, what I was about to say was, I suppose that Black women, women of color, might deal with that more because of oppression. But I learned from therapy for, for Black girls, can't remember the exact practitioner. She was saying that the research actually doesn't bear that out. That, hmm. that actually experiencing racial oppression uh, the depression that comes from racial oppression is actually much worse than imposter syndrome. Like it's mm -hmm. um, so, but I still wonder if maybe there is some correlation between, yes, the society that we grew up in and the way that we're raised. I mean, all three of us, I think, have immigrant parents. Um, I, I think you, if I heard you correctly, Victoria, um uh yeah. my and I know how just how perfectionistic my parents yeah. were growing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. About everything, right? Because they're like working so hard to succeed in this country and they want me to succeed too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I think And I think I... I still have those feelings of unworthiness or not sure if I belong in a lot of places or if I've done enough, if I am enough, not because they were hard on me, but just because like they were very much, you know, intense. Right? Yeah. I think I related to it because I, I've realized in the last few years that like a lot of my drive is like, let me, let me make all these things so that you'll love me. You know, let me write this song. Mm. Let me write this essay. Let me do this. Like, look at all the, look at all the, look at all the things that I've, I've racked up. Like, like, can, yeah. am I lovable now? And I think mm -hmm. for me, it was when she hit this like pinnacle of success and that she still didn't feel like she was lovable. She was like, but I've, I've, I've done all of the things. Why am I still not lovable? And I'm not, I'm not totally sure where that comes from in me. Um, we, my, my therapist asked me if I thought I deserved to be loved. And I was like, I don't know what deserve means. And I don't like the word deserve. Um, uh, let's intellectualize like, this together. Well, because I was like, I don't, I think that's like a big part of American politics is who deserves what, right? And I hate, I hate the mm -hmm. idea of deserving. Um, 
But I do think American culture and capitalism, we are, our value is so equated to our productivity um, that, that people, when they, when they get all the, the success and the money and they still don't feel lovable, then they're like, but I did it. And why mm -hmm. do I still feel that way? Um, and then um, Stephen's character like asks her at the at her party or at her husband's party, um, "Is it better now?" And she's like, "No." Um, so I, I I really that is one of the themes of of the show that I really like, for a better word. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast. Uh, we love you. And just want to give gratitude again for our guests, Ari and Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight and spending time with us. And you all will hear from us next week. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S music on instagram tiktok and twitter andre is at the andre henry on instagram and tiktok and at andre henry on twitter catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on spotify if you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of andre and trisha's conversation you can join the patreon at www.patreon.com andre henry thanks again and we'll see you next time <laughs>